You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. great to see you all on this family Sunday. It's also, as Blair said, it's uh, great to see all the kids upstairs with us today. And not only is it great, but uh, it is for their benefit. Uh, Family Sundays like this have actually been proven to be incredibly beneficial and important for a child's faith and for their future commitment within the body of Christ. Uh, Simply experiencing and becoming familiar with church and that it's different than Sunday school. So becoming familiar with church and listening to a sermon and what it looks like to worship and especially uh, seeing the example of not only their parents but other adults as well, growing in the word and worshiping the Lord together. It, It does have a lasting impact on our kids. And so for that reason and also just because they are awesome, uh, we're glad that they're upstairs with us today. So kids, I'm glad that you're upstairs with us today, and uh, hopefully you don't get too bored while I'm preaching, and uh, hopefully you can learn some stuff. Um, on that note, we'll be continuing uh, our sermon series through the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to be reading from Luke 12, starting at verse 1 and going to verse 12. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to open them up to Luke 12. Uh, if not, it'll be behind the screen. Thank you, Liam. Um, Luke 12, 1 to 12, it says this, In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, Jesus began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. This is the word of the Lord. When I was in elementary school, a police officer, which I thought was cool, a police officer used to come to the, the grade five and six classrooms every year, and, and, and the purpose of their coming was to run a drug and gang prevention program called DARE. Anyone go through that course? Yeah, anyone remember DARE? Uh, it's something else now, I think. Um, but uh, I still recall that one of the big talking points was all about how to resist peer pressure. That was a big thing in, in elementary school. 
and, and in life in general, right? Peer pressure, how to say no to something harmful, uh, even if everyone else is doing it. Or on the flip side, how to say yes to something beneficial, even if everyone else thinks it's uncool, right? To choose what's right, even if you might get made fun of for it. And in the same sense, but in a lot less cheesy way, because let's be honest, it was a little cheesy. Uh, important, but cheesy. But in, in a lot less of a cheesy way, Jesus has taken this opportunity to remind his disciples the importance of staying true to who they are as his followers. To not worry about the opinions or approval of man, or even be afraid of what man can do to them. I'm not going to lie, though, Jesus says some pretty difficult things in this passage, and uh, you're, you're all lucky. You don't have to preach it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, ironically enough, in a passage that's, that's all about the fear of man, there's, there's definitely a temptation for us to either, you know, just skip over or smooth over his words here for the sake of what people might think or uh, what people might think of Jesus. But upon further examination of his words, Along with knowing both the joys and persecutions the disciples will actually have to face and and come up against for following and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, which we can read all about in the book of Acts, we'll find that the reason that Jesus doesn't mince his words here is because he's preparing them for the reality of mission. He's preparing them for what they're going to come up against and how to be resilient against it. Jesus knows that one of the biggest battles they'll continually find themselves having to fight against day after day is also the same mental and and spiritual challenge we often face as believers in our own calling to proclaim the gospel to the world. And this, of course, is that, that persistent battle between our fear of man and our fear of God. Right? There's that constant battle that we're facing, that fear of man and that fear of God. Uh, And and, and so this is actually a, a pivotal and integral teaching moment from Jesus to his disciples, and now us, which was meant, again, to make them ready, to make them resilient in their future calling as ambassadors and lights for his name. And again, it's no accident that Jesus chooses this particular moment to turn to his disciples and teach them this. Because it says that thousands of people were trampling over each other just to get to him, Sounds pretty chaotic. And it's not really, not really clear from the text if they're trying to get to Jesus for good reasons or for bad reasons, maybe a mix of both. I mean, uh, uh, Jesus did just condemn the Pharisees and scribes only hours before this, so the crowd could have heard about that and gotten angry about that. Or maybe they liked the sound of his rebukes to the Pharisees and they wanted to hear more of his teaching and see more of the miracles they'd heard about. Or maybe it's just a cla- classic case of mob mentality. And they don't even know why they're going crazy. The people in the crowd are just going along with the crowd. Such a weird phenomenon, but that's mob mentality, right? The people in the crowd, they just go along with the crowd. And that's exactly what Jesus is speaking against and warning his disciples not to be drawn into. Because the temptation, of course, is to always fear the crowd. To follow the crowd. To go along with the crowd. More specifically, to hide who we really are in order to avoid criticism or persecution or in the same vein, to act in a way they want you to in order to impress them or gain approval from them. 
Jesus, on the other hand, he isn't tempted here by that, right? He, he actually turns away from the crowd to focus on his disciples and to specifically teach them that, again, when it comes to matters of faith and mission, they should neither bend nor give in to the crowd's desires, but rather and more purposefully and beneficially, they should trust and obey God's will no matter what the cost. No matter what the cost. Before we go any further, let's, let's not mistake Jesus' teaching here. He's not teaching the disciples to ignore or be unkind to the crowd. Jesus eventually addresses them himself. And of course, only a, only a few passages before this, we, we read that Jesus spent all day having compassion on the crowd, teaching and healing and feeding a crowd of 5,000, not to mention his commandment to love others as ourselves, and of course, his other teachings to be kind and merciful and compassionate to the lost and needy, to honor one another, the list goes on. So he's not saying be rude to the crowd. But the point of this passage or of this moment, though, again, is that Jesus is calling and instructing his disciples for their benefit and for the advancement of the gospel and the kingdom of God to faithfully remain true to who they are as his followers, regardless of whether others are pleased by it or not, and regardless of the possible backlash. And he's only, in, he's only calling them to have the same integrity and trust in the Father that he does. And we know that Jesus never wavered from the Father's will, regardless of who or what others wanted him to be, and regardless of any threats that he faced, even to the eventual, eventual point of being killed for it at the cross. To be specific then, he's teaching his disciples here, and even warning them, that their actions and speech before others will both reveal and stem from who or what they fear. Their actions and speech before others will both reveal and stem from who or what they fear. That's either fear of man or fear of God. One lays a snare while the other provides refuge and purpose. As it says in Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. On this, Warren Wearsby writes, the snare of popularity and the fear of man has brought ruin to more than one servant of God. The snare of popularity and the fear of man has brought ruin to more than one servant of God. And Jesus wants to prevent this ruin in his disciples and in us. And so he spends some time warning them of some of the problematic symptoms or evidences which having a fear of man could potentially lead them into. And the first one is hypocrisy. He writes in verse 1, Luke 12, 1, second half, says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And hypocrisy, of course, is acting in a way that's contrary to either who you really are or contrary to what you demand of others. It's moral inconsistency. And it's often putting on a show, right? Generally speaking, this was the way of the Pharisees. About them, Jesus says in John 12, 43, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Of course, this, is, this verse is a commentary on the fact that many of the Pharisees often performed their religion in the public square so that, that people would be impressed by them, right? They'd pray in front of people and, 
and do their religion in front of people saying, look at me, look at how righteous I am. But like the Pharisees, though, I do think that we all have this natural uh, need for people to like us, right? We want people to like us. And, so, and, and even more than that, for people just not to hate us. And so I think for, for, for everyone, the temptation to speak or, or act in a way which is contrary to who we truly are in order to be liked or in order to please others is often pretty strong. The problem there is that we're looking for approval from the wrong source. And for us as Christians then, though, when, when, we, um, when we do have that, that, that need for it to be liked, I think there's, there's temptations to either act more religious or devout in public, especially when we're around other believers, or, on the flip side of that, to act less Christian or devout when we're in a more secular setting, like school or work, you know, as a way to fit in. For example, you know, cussing and laughing at crude jokes at the office or something. But one of the dangers of this is that, like a little bit of yeast worked into the dough of bread, a little bit of hypocrisy can spread and grow and infect the ego and the soul, either with pride and self-righteousness or with emptiness and shame. It's a snare. It traps us in a lie. And I think it's also one of the biggest reasons we fail to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the lost. Because if we place people's opinions and what they think of us over and above their possible salvation, we're not going to risk being weird or, or uncomfortable in front of them for Jesus. It's like, oh, I'd, I'd, I'd share Jesus with them, but I don't want to think that I'm weird. We're putting their opinion of us before their salvation. In, in um, Galatians, we can read that at one point during Peter's ministry, the Apostle Peter's ministry, he started to eat and act like a Jew again for fear of what the other Jewish believers might think of him. Until, that is, the Apostle Paul shows up and openly rebukes him for his hypocrisy because it's true, he can't preach grace and freedom in Christ while still living under the yoke of the law and in the snare of needing man's approval. He needed to be called out in that moment. His hypocrisy needed to be revealed. And on that end, and, and when it comes down to it, our, our hypocrisy is only foolish and futile. Because while it might fool others, our sin certainly doesn't fool God. He's all-knowing. Right? So nothing can be hidden from him. He knows our hearts. There's nothing covered up that won't be revealed. Nothing whispered that won't be proclaimed. Nothing hidden in the dark that will not be made known in his light. And on that final day, we won't be judged by how popular or how successful or how well-liked we are by others, but rather by how faithful we were to the Lord. Or as Paul himself said in Galatians, Galatians 1.10, he says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? See, it's one or the other, right? Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Christ. 
And so as we look at the way we live and act and speak around others, this is the question. And it's challenging and it's convicting. Are we ultimately seeking the approval of people or of God? But speaking of Peter, that's certainly not the first time he'd changed his tune in front of others, is it? Of course, his, his triple denial, his hat trick denial, I guess you could say, of, of uh, being a disciple, being Jesus' disciple, even as Jesus himself was being sent to the cross, is well known, right? Though in that particular circumstance, Peter wasn't necessarily seeking approval from man. He was trying to save his own skin. He was trying to avoid the disapproval of man and therefore the certainty of death. If anyone there had found out that he was a disciple of Jesus, he would have been hanging on a cross next to him. But Jesus knows this and, and, and of course, sympathizes with the, with the fact that one of the biggest reasons we might be tempted uh, to not proclaim the gospel or that we might be tempted to deny him and, and live who we're called to be as his disciples in front of others, like Peter, is due to that fear of persecution or criticism or worse, death, right? And so Jesus reminds them in this moment of, of, of what's truly important in the long run, that it's not the body but it's the state of our soul. He says from verses 4 to 5, and, th- and this is, th- these are hard verses, right? Luke 12, 4 to 5, he says, I tell you, my friends, he calls them friends, right? He cares about them. He's telling them this because he cares about them and he loves them. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do, right? That's all they can do. But, and then he says, but I will warn you whom to fear, Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. The cure to the fear of man is to fear God. When we truly recognize that God's authority and judgment over our souls in eternity is what really matters, and that it's much more vast and significant and serious than anything that man could do to us, it definitely changes our perspective. It should definitely change the way we live our lives, or at least it should. And so, yes, people, people in the world, they can mock us, and they can hurt us, and they can, they can persecute us, and they can even kill us for our beliefs. But that's all they can do. And in fact, the disciples will face every single one of those things. They will face all of those things. Which is why Jesus is telling them this. This is why they need to keep this in mind. That the point here is that but if, if they choose to gain the approval of the world, that they're going to lose their souls to hell. Is that, is that a good payoff? I don't think so. As a theologian, Tibetiano Buile writes, Jesus pushes us to see beyond the body to the soul. That's why twice he tells us to fear God. Tremble in God's presence. Tremble at his judgment. For God deals with body and soul. Hell is far more serious a problem than physical death. Our bodies cease to exist, but our souls don't. 
And physical pain may be great, but it's temporary. We had better fear God's judgment much more than man's. This is heavy. I think we'd live a lot differently if we, if we feared God. And I think when it comes to defining the fear of God, we, we often have this desire to soften the definition of fear. We hear this all the time, right? Well, well when we talk about fear of God, it's more like having an awe and, and just a reverence for, for God. And it, and it definitely consists of those aspects, absolutely. But in the words of Francis Chan, I think it means fear. He's holy, righteous, glorious, the righteous judge. How could we stand in his presence and not have a fear? It, it's certainly a healthy fear. Like a child fearing the possible discipline of their parent and not wanting to discover what happens at the end of that count to three, right? How many kids here want to discover what happens at the end of the count to three? All of, all of you? You all do? None of you, right? But it's still fear. And as we can read over and over again in Scripture, that the presence of God's glory and His holiness causes even the most faithful to fall on their faces in humility and brokenness, and yes, fear. But here's the good part. When we do fear God, we'll actually find that it's a fear that conquers all other fears. When we fear God, we won't fear anything else. Because in comparison to him, nothing can compare. Which is why Jesus reminds them that when we fear God, we'll no longer have to be afraid. He says in this passage, I'll tell you who to fear. Fear God. And then a couple sentences later, he says, fear not. Fear God and fear not. For not even the sparrow, which is the cheapest bird you can buy in the market, not even that sparrow is forgotten by God. And we're more valuable to him than a bird, right? God also knows every hair on your head. He cares for you. And I'll take this opportunity to point out that the hairs on my head are probably much more easier to count than yours. But still, the point remains he loves us, and he cares for us, which means that as we repent and as we surrender to him and, and to his authority and trust in him, we actually don't need to be afraid of anything else. Perfect love cats out fear. So obviously there's a tension there where to fear is judgment, but also rest in his grace and mercy. But this is important because it's, it's that tension which actually keeps us both humble and confident in mission. Some of the Psalms sum up and balance this tension well with, with just a verse, right? Psalm 147.11 uh, says, The Lord values those who fear him, those who put their hope in his faithful love. 
And Psalm 33, 18 says, Surely the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is his loving devotion. So to fear God is to acknowledge his authority and to hope in his love. It's to recognize that his will and his judgment and his approval of us is what truly matters, what's truly important. Because again, what is truly more important? That we're acknowledged by people on earth or that we're acknowledged by God in heaven? On that note, Jesus states that those who truly acknowledge him in front of others are the ones who will be acknowledged in heaven by him. And uh, on that, theologian Warren Wearsby writes, how can we fear men when we know Jesus Christ is confessing us before the Father in heaven? How can we fear men when we know God is on our side because of Jesus Christ? Of course, Jesus Christ has already won God's approval for us. He won that when he took the judgment of our sin upon himself at the cross and shed his blood for it. Now Jesus holds that victory in his hand and covers us in his righteousness, which means that when we confess and believe in him, God sees us as he sees Jesus. And so if we've already been given God's approval through Jesus Christ, why why would we seek, why would we choose to seek approval elsewhere by denying him in front of others? Why would we do that? If we know we have the approval of the one who matters into eternity, why would we seek approval anywhere else? And in the same vein, why would we ever hesitate to proclaim him to others if we know what he's given us? Because if God is for us, who can be against us? Because if our soul is secure in God's hands through Jesus, what can man do to us? But yet we, we forget that, don't we? If we're honest, at times, we still do give in to that fear of man. We do deny him in our hypocrisy or fail to proclaim him when we should. I'm guilty of that as well. Unfortunately, there's grace and mercy for those moments, though. We don't have to walk around in shame. There's grace and mercy for those moments. As Jesus says himself, if you speak a word against the Son of Man in front of others, you will be forgiven. You will be forgiven. And as it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In fact, I've been picking on Peter this whole this whole sermon, but the Apostle Peter, but there's this beautiful moment after Jesus' resurrection when he comes and he finds Peter on the shore and he eats with him. And then after that dinner, he then forgives Peter three times for denying him three times. It's this beautiful, powerful moment of grace which reminds us that there's always grace and forgiveness for us as well. Though, Jesus does say something confusing next, though, in the passage. He says that if we blaspheme the Holy Spirit, then we won't be forgiven. And honestly, it's hard to know what Jesus fully means by this. Um, Theologian Daryl Bach about that statement, he writes this. He says, this statement has led to considerable debate. Is the blasphemy attributing Jesus' work to the power of Satan? 
Or is it a reference to apostasy? Is it rejecting the apostles' preaching about Jesus, since that was spirit-empowered preaching? Or is it not so much a single act as a persistent rejection of Jesus, which is the most likely meaning? Not only does this remark fit all the synoptic contexts in which the saying appears, but it fits with the importance Jesus places on the preached gospel message. So to fear God means to choose Jesus. To reject him is to reject the spirit who testifies constantly to him. So to fear God means to choose Jesus. And, and in the context of this passage, this means that, that to fear God is, is more than about going to church once a week to play the Christian in front of others and then blending in with the rest of the world the, the rest of the week. Right? No, to fear God is to stand out in the world. To fear God is to be confident in who we are as his children. To fear God is to live and breathe Jesus. To live in accordance with the power and the truth of his spirit within us. For if we've been saved by the spirit, we're to live according to the spirit. And this means living in obedience and with integrity in the ways of Jesus. This means living according to God's will and with our trust on him. This means resiliently standing up for his truth in the midst of opposition. This means praying with confidence and with wisdom. This means growing in the knowledge of his word and in his love. And this means proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost with boldness and with power, without fear of what man can do to us. And on that end, and as Jesus reminds his disciples at the end of this passage, this means trusting in the Spirit to give them the words and the faith to persevere and defend the faith in times of persecution or criticism. I think there's two things that hinder us from preaching the gospel. One is that fear of man, and the other is our, is our insecurity about not having the words to speak. And Jesus says right here, you don't need to have a fear of man, you should have a fear of God, and I'll give you the words to speak through the Spirit. No excuses. To fear God then means shining our light for all to see. And so the question for us in this moment is simply this. Is our light always visible for all to see? Are we, as Paul states in Romans 1.16, not ashamed of the gospel? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. To fear God is to say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And if that's not the case, I think it, it, if we're all able to be honest here, if we do feel ashamed, if we do feel that tendency to be hypocritical, to hide who we really are, then we've most likely set aside that fear of God and we need to get it back. The Spirit needs to restore that back into our hearts and our souls. The book of Proverbs reminds us that the fear of God is the beginning of, beginning of wisdom. It's what we need to see clearly and to live rightly. It's what we need to keep us both humble and confident in our mission to proclaim Jesus and his kingdom come. It's what we need to help us remember that while the world can do its worst, God is the ultimate authority over our souls.
and nothing can separate us from his love. For his eyes and therefore his saving grace, his counsel, his power, and his purpose are on those who fear him. And so those who fear him need not be afraid. Amen? I'm going to conclude with a reading from Psalm 34, 8 to 15, and then we'll move into a time of communion. So Psalm 34, 8 to 15 sums up this whole thing. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Then keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are holy. You are righteous. You are the perfect judge. And Lord, I thank you that, that, that in your mercy and grace, you sent Jesus Christ, your son, to take the punishment of our sins upon himself at the cross. His body was broken, his blood was shed for us so that we could be accepted and approved in your presence, covered in his righteousness. Lord, I pray that you would, you would remind us of how much you love us and how much you care for us, Lord God, that we wouldn't go seeking approval from, from, from anywhere else, Lord God, but that we would be able to rest and, and stand confident in, in, in who you see us as. Lord, I pray for forgiveness. Lord, we come to you with repentant hearts for when we've placed a fear of man over a, over a fear of you, Lord. And I thank you that you do forgive us, Lord God. But I pray that you would restore that fear within us. That desire to serve you, that desire to, to, to live for you and to please you. Lord, I pray that, that, that you would set us free from the, that fear of man, that temptation to, to, to hide who we really are in this world, Lord, so that we can shine our light, the light that you have placed within us, that we can, we can glow, we can spread your name, we can proclaim your gospel without worry, without fear, without, without hesitation, that we can do it with boldness knowing that that is what matters, that that is what's important, that in your arms, man can do nothing to us. Who cares if they, if they say mean things about us? 
Your gospel is more important than that. Help us to remember that. Help us to, get, help us to have that boldness to go forth and proclaim who you are, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.